Welcome back, everybody. It's CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition brought to you by Campus to Canton. Follow them on the Twitter at Campus the number two Canton. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by the man, the myth, the legend. He makes it all happen at CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter machine. Guys, week six was terrible. Nothing good happened. Uh, nobody liked it. Uh, I polled everyone in the world. They all hated it. So I don't even think we need to really talk that much about week six. But Nick, uh, any, any takeaways from week six, the worst week in college football history? Yeah, so I'll try to do my uh, best to I was gonna avoid take my just completely talking about any yeah. of the games. Yeah, you know, because the previous week I was like, oh, the numbers, the numbers, which I could say. Our numbers did have their best week uh, from a one-loss perspective as far as yeah. uh, the all the, the three uh, projection models on, on sides. Uh, as we discussed last week, totals, you know, the underlying numbers weren't nearly as good. That ended up, uh, the, the luck ran out a little bit on us there. We had our worst week uh, wins and, and losses-wise on totals. However, the absolute error numbers, uh, second best of the year, so. You know, one of those things where the underlying numbers get better, the the uh, end result not as good, one loss. But overall, very encouraging week for the numbers. Felt quite good about it. Felt good going into it. And this is the time of year where it seems like we really start to hit our stride a little bit, the way we calculate things as far as uh, injuries and, and whatnot that some other models out there, um, you know, aren't able to account for quite as well as, as we do, uh, seems to pay off during uh, this time of year. So hopefully that continues. Um, but uh, as far as the, the games themselves go, um, obviously know what you were alluding to there. And, and uh, we discussed last week, uh, our numbers were, were on Oklahoma, not necessarily to win outright, but to uh, cover in that game against Texas. It was as you know, fun of a game uh, as you could have hoped for. Uh, two really, really solid teams. I have to think there's a, a really good chance we're going to see a rematch in the Big 12 championship game for that one. Uh, but, you know, overall, it was it was a, a very entertaining week. Um, we saw, and I'm sure people are tired of hearing about it, but the most ridiculous, unbelievable end of game situation uh that that I remember seeing on a college football field, the the uh, Georgia Tech getting a, a chance it shouldn't have had. Uh, Miami should have won that game six different times. I don't people are times. hearing about it, Nick, but <laughs> is that a fireball offense? Like, if they had fired Cristobal uh, the next day, would you have been shocked or would you have been like, well, don't you? that's like the one thing you can't do? In, I think it would have been a fireball offense in, in some situations. I don't okay. think Mario Cristobal was uh, ever in any any real danger i don't um, think so either but i just but but i understand move, you yes. know how else can you describe it it's so dumb right right and it 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 never should have happened uh, miami should have won that game three times before they lost it um but you know there were there were definitely uh plenty of exciting moments uh louisville getting the outright upset over notre dame knocking off a top 10 team uh, that was big. UCLA knocking off a ranked team. They were favored. We had them uh, expected to cover. They did. Uh, the LSU-Missouri game was incredibly entertaining. 
uh, all the way to the end. Uh, we were a little bit on the, the wrong side of a, uh, what some might call a bad beat on that one, but still a, a really, really entertaining game. And uh, there, there were plenty. And it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I was thinking about this because you know we've already had three games this week as we record on Wednesday evening. We're about to have one kickoff and then another will kick off probably about the time that, that we're done. Um, and you know plenty of teams are, are going through uh, where they've got their off week. Um, so by the time Saturday comes around at this point of the season, the schedule's kind of thinned out a little bit. Like I'm not as overwhelmed as I was in you know, week two, week three, uh, feeling like I'm missing so much because I just can't fit as many, even with all the you know multi-screen stuff that that we've got available to us this year. Um, I still felt like I was missing stuff, but uh, because we get you know 20, 25 percent of the schedule um, uh, throughout the course of the week now with Wednesday night games and, and Tuesday night games. Um, and with, you know, we're in the, the period of time where a lot of teams are, are having a week off here and there. Um, I don't know on Saturday, I feel like we really get a chance to, to sit back and really take in more games than I usually do. I usually have my eye on as many as I possibly can, but to actually sit down and, and think about a specific game, uh, it's nice to, to have that opportunity, uh, this week, but uh, before I turn it back to you guys, uh, real quick, a uh, couple of other takeaways that I should have mentioned. Uh, Georgia and Michigan finally, you know, put up some really, really impressive performances this past week. Looked legitimately like the, you know, two best teams in the country, you could argue. Uh, we hadn't really seen that very much this year. So uh, be interesting to see how, how those two carry over into uh, the subsequent weeks, following weeks uh, as well. Yeah, Xavier, I mean, uh, Georgia kind of, you know, no sleepwalking in this game against Kentucky. They just smacked Kentucky down. Um, Michigan again with another performance. And really, I mean, Michigan looks like the scariest team in the country right now to me. They look so good, crisp on everything. When you look back at week six, um, what what do you pull away from week six? Um, The teams at the top finally showed their mustard. In one respect, um, obviously, that doesn't necessarily mean Texas in particular. Um, but I mean, I was almost right with that prognostication too. I, I genuinely felt that I was gonna, we were going to come on the podcast this week, and Scott was going to be like, "I hated that game, but we won." So, I mean, I, I really felt good about that one. Um, the Missouri upset almost occurred, uh, and defense was completely optional in that matchup. That was one. For, <laughs> that, that was definitely one that I was like, "LSU is oh. really clicking on offense." I mean, they look. Anyone can score on them. They're like the SEC USC. Yeah, it's horrible to watch for like anybody that you know goes to the bathroom or you know goes to the <laughs> like half a second because you 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 come you back and score. Like, they score twice. Wait, what happened? Why 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 is it like you know a, a ton to a little? Um, but yeah, you know, and then I also felt like you know UCLA Washington State was you know at, at least at the start was advertised as I thought it would be. Um, Dante Moore's able to get his first, you know, major Pac-12 win under his belt. Uh, North Carolina shellacked Syracuse. Um, did not see that coming, but Drake May looked. Has Walker back. Well, Ooh, I mean, yeah. you got to be honest, didn't know if that would have that much of an impact, but sheesh. Mm. Um, he looked 
that offense just looks excellent, and I can't wait to see how far that team can go this year in particular. Uh, Louisville looked like they were a team at home, I'll be honest. They 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 slept walk through like the first like quarter and some change. And then it was like, oh yeah, we're at home against like a top 10 team. Let's obliterate these guys. Uh, and I was just like, okay, cool. About time that you guys are playing home, you know, home advantage football here. Um then I would probably suggest uh, the Wyoming game was fun. Fresno State left it too late to try to mount some massive comeback. Um, you know, Wyoming was able to go what 24-7 and kind of just hold on to the very end um, in that matchup in particular. Um, and then I, I really think that Alabama might be turning that metaphorical corner again. Um, and they do this every year. Uh, or seemingly every year where, where they start, where, you know, especially the last couple of years where it's like, you know, Miami, uh, or sorry, not Miami, but you know, uh, Alabama really doesn't have it all. Is, are they really as good as some of Saban's older teams? No, but at the same time, they're not nearly as bad as I think everybody wants to claim them. I understand they've had some, you know, some historic drops as far as, you know, AP poll and things of that nature, but this team has one loss. It's still undefeated in the SEC and has everything right in front of them. I mean, this is going to be one of those annoying years, again, unless somebody comes and beats them. My daughter agrees. That <laughs> Alabama will end up in the SEC championship game with a one loss and be looking at everybody else around the country. Like, if you guys lose today, you're going to let us right back in. So, wouldn't be surprised by that in the slightest. Uh, but an impressive win, nevertheless, for them on Saturday. All right, boys, let's dive into week number seven, and we're going to start with Texas A&M on the road against Tennessee. Tennessee is a three-and-a-half-point home favorite here. The total is 55-and-a-half. I kind of like the under in this game more than um, Tennessee or Tamu here, but uh, what are your thoughts on this game, Nick? Well, our, our projection does come in slightly under. Uh, the official uh, total was 55-and-a-half when we released these on Thursday in the Campus Canton Discord and the C2C Winning Edge tier channel. Um, but uh, otherwise, this is this is uh, a, a game where our projections do kind of, uh, you know, give us a, a few different looks at it and, and they are uh, pretty different. So um, our stats only model, our prism model has Tennessee uh, expected to cover, have them uh, favored by about 3.7. The talent edge model, which does have a uh, both of those two, which are, which are only talent numbers, only stats numbers, give us two uh, very, very different looks at a game. There is a home field adjustment uh, piece of that, but even with that, Texas A&M has uh, a little bit of an edge, a talent edge outright in uh, this matchup, according to uh, that uh, talent only model or talent edge model. Um, when you put those together and, and all the uh, other information that uh, we collect and, and throw into a blender and see how it comes out, we've got Tennessee favored in our team strength model, our official model. I'm recapping these as I always do, just in case this might be your first time with us. Uh, but uh, not by very much. Only have Tennessee favored by about 1.9 points in that official model. So, um, you know, quite a quite an interesting matchup. Texas A&M uh, came up short last week against Alabama. Uh, looked like at you know certain times, in, in my opinion, uh, like a, a fairly dangerous team. Um, I was a little worried that Evan Stewart, the just 
potential superstar wide receiver uh, for Texas A&M was going to be limited. It sounded like when he arrived to the stadium on Saturday, he uh, was in a walking boot, but you know, he, he continued to look like one of the best receivers in the country. It's good to see Anaya uh, Smith back and healthy. Um, uh, you know, Max Johnson is uh, uh, not a, a, you know, an elite quarterback, but haven't seen a, a uh, major drop off, in my opinion, without Connor Wegman. So this Texas A&M team comes into this game um, playing like a top 20 team, even with two losses. They're 16th in our overall team performance numbers. Uh, they are top 40 on offense, top 15 right now on defense, including top uh, 10 against the run. That's going to be uh, certainly a challenge against a Tennessee offense, which is top 10 in our uh, rushing offense team performance numbers. Um, Tennessee is playing like a top 10 team when you throw into the mix that, that their defense is graded out like a top 10 defense, which, uh, is probably a little bit of a, a surprise to most, certainly a surprise to me coming into the season. I had sky high expectations for, you know, the passing attack, Joe Milton, Squirrel White, Ramel Keaton, uh, Dante Thornton, Brew McCoy, who unfortunately suffered a, a really, really ugly season ending injury, uh, the other week, but, uh, you know, Milton has, has been productive, has been a little slow getting up and running. Squirrel White's been a little, you know, limited by injury, I think, the first few weeks, a little slow up and running. Dante Thornton uh, missed last week with an injury, a little slow to get going. So we haven't quite seen that Tennessee passing attack playing at, at the level that I expected. But, you know, with Jalen Wright re- leading the way and, and Jabari Small and then, uh, you know, Dylan Sampson, all he does is is uh, score, it seems. So uh, those guys running the football, um, this Tennessee team is, is again, very, very dangerous. It's going to be uh, a matchup of two, I think, legitimate top 20 caliber teams. Texas A&M, as we said, a little bit uh, more talented top to bottom, maybe a little bit more depth. But, you know, Tennessee had the extra week to prepare Texas A&M played Alabama last week and and there for you know years has been sort of a body blow theory on uh, teams that play Alabama one week and how they fare the next. So Tennessee getting this game at home, uh, being a little uh, extra rested. We'll see how, you know, the injuries, uh, how they replace McCoy if Thornton is back in, in full speed, what sort of that wide receiver rotation looks like if that running attack rushing attack can continue to be as productive or, you know, if we do see that uh, passing offense potentially take another step forward. So um, this is a really, really evenly matched game. I completely understand why our projections, um, you know, tell us different things, but that our, our official number is so close to what the odds makers have should be a, a you know, really close hard fought game could go either way. Uh, but our numbers have Tennessee winning, but but Texas A&M covering. So I uh, wouldn't be surprised if this is decided by a field goal one way or the other. Xavier, what are your thoughts on A&M and Tennessee here? Do you think this is going to be a low-scoring kind of close game for these two teams, or do you see one of the sides wasting the other one here? Honestly, I think that Tennessee has a really good shot here to put some separation between them and, to, and Texas A&M kind of in that tier two. Um, I do think that, you know, both teams still have everything in front of them. Um, I believe both teams only have one SEC loss. I'm correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, So I think their seasons are still right in front of them and the opportunity to, you know, obviously win an SEC game is huge in this this matchup. 
the biggest thing for me has to be whether or not Joe Milton has a clean pocket. And I think if he's able to play with a clean pocket, then Tennessee has a really good chance of winning this ballgame. Uh, otherwise, I, I think it's going to be a struggle for them. I think the one thing that, th- that Florida was able to really do with Milton is get him off of his spot, uh, forced him into a one-dimensional team, and really forced him to pass the ball, you know, a ton. Um, and, and I think that that was the really big thing, uh, a really big point of emphasis, I think, last week even for A&M was the fact that I think, you know, they were trying to get J- Jalen Monroe off his spot. Obviously, they forced him into a couple of interceptions or it forced him into an interception. But I think the biggest thing and the biggest reason as to why they won that game uh, and that being Alabama was the fact that they got the passing game going. Um, and I think this week in particular, Tennessee's passing game hasn't been as explosive. Nick alluded to some of the reasons as to why, right? Dealing with some injuries, some slow starts. Uh, but more than anything, that offensive line just hasn't been nearly as vaunted as they were last year, right? Obviously, you lose a guy like Darnell right on the right side um, and, and things of that nature. Obviously, you're not just going to be the same exact old line. Of course, but I really think the other piece of, of, about it is Milton's a little bit more stationary than Hendon Hooker is. I think Hendon Hooker did a really good job in the pocket and made himself really mobile um, at times. On the flip side of that, I think Milton struggles at times keeping his eyes up when he runs. I think it's either run or pass for him a lot of the time. So I think that AM should win this ballgame. Uh, defensively, I feel like they're pretty good, uh, or they're good enough, excuse me, to, to you know keep this uh, Tennessee game close enough for an offense that I think is still figuring itself out a little bit under Max Johnson. Um, you know, obviously they, they were able to win a game with him with throwing only 11 passes previously against Arkansas or excuse me, against Auburn. Um, so I think they're still trying to figure out how explosive they can and can't be, but they've got too much talent not to be able to run with a Tennessee team, right? You talk about Anaya Smith, you talk about Evan Stewart, like they've got enough talent on the outside to compete. She just, they, 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 just, they just need to have a better, they just need to allow Max Johnson and take the leash off a little bit in my head. I really think that. I, I think Max, for all of his, you know, for all of what he's not, as a, you know, as opposed to Connor Wegman, I think he's still more than a capable quarterback in the SEC, especially this season in particular. You got to take the leash off again. Let him go. Agree. I, I agree with that. And there was a stat I was looking at PFF earlier, and Max Johnson is the number one quarterback in the country with a clean pocket. Now, he doesn't have that many throws, but Tennessee's got a top five pass rush defense. So uh, according to PFF's grading anyway, so I don't know. I think this game is going to go under. That's why I like the under uh, inexperience of QB. So uh, we will see how that one goes. Let's go over to Wisconsin uh, hosting Iowa. They are nine and a half point home favorites here. Thirty six and a half is the total in this game. It is a low scoring game, of course. Um, it's Iowa. Every game seems to go towards the under here. Uh, they can't score and they don't let anyone score. Is that the name of the game? Or do we think Wisconsin is too good and they overwhelm Iowa in this one, Nick? So uh, this one is, uh, this one's a little weird. I've, I've mentioned in weeks past and especially, uh, we've gotten into it a little bit more on the tailgate on Saturday mornings, uh, campus to Canton. Um, that one of the areas where our projections are doing particularly well this year, and it's it's been true for uh, a little bit previous years as well, but when all three of those projection models line up on a favorite, because each of our projections do uh, skew just a little toward the underdog more often than not. So it's it's pretty rare. We usually get fewer than five situations each week where uh, we have a favorite 
expected to cover in all three models. Sometimes that happens in a scenario where, you know, it, I, I look at it, my brain doesn't quite comprehend, doesn't quite agree because a team is just a particularly tough opponent that, that it's, you know, pretty difficult to uh, blow out or win by double digits, two touchdowns, whatever. Um, anytime it happens against a uh, military academy, for example, I'm always more skeptical uh, than usual. And when I was involved, I'm more skeptical than usual. Wyoming maybe to a, a little bit of a lesser degree, but uh, where there are teams who consistently, you know, don't grade out particularly well in talent numbers and our roster strength numbers, uh, you know, raw talent projections, things like that, but consistently do uh, a good job of uh, putting up team performance numbers, their their play on the field um, is noticeably significantly better than those talent numbers. Uh, those teams are, are tough to beat. And, and some of it is a, you know, style thing. Teams like Iowa slow things down, play good defense. Um, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, don't move the ball particularly well, but uh, they, they just do a good job of shortening a game and, and giving themselves a chance in the fourth quarter more often than not. And this game strikes me similarly. Uh, Wisconsin, I was surprised to see Wisconsin as a double-digit favorite in our team strength numbers and our talent edge numbers and almost a double-digit favorite in those uh, prism numbers, the, the stats-only model, which does you know a, a better job of, of uh, showing the, the true strength for a team like Iowa uh, sometimes than uh, our, our team strength numbers might do. So um, for that one to, to indicate that Iowa, you know, was in trouble, uh, likely to be a closer to a, a double-digit uh, underdog here, you know, that, that was a little bit of a surprise. And though I'm not um, super confident with it, on the one hand, you know, Iowa is playing backup quarterback, Deacon Hill, uh, former Wisconsin quarterback, Deacon Hill. Um, that's, uh, you know, uh, maybe a, a, a point to, to say that this Iowa offense could potentially be even in more trouble than they normally would. Kate McNamara is not there. Of course, uh, Luke Lachey, their talented tight end, has been out for weeks. Uh, Eric All, of course, is, is a quality option there and one of the better uh, receivers, one of the more productive members of that offense um, you know, stepping up in, into that top tight end role. But um, I was less than full strength uh, just in general. They've had some offensive line injuries. Um, and, you know, they're, they're just reasons to uh, – there, there are a few reasons, maybe I should say, uh, to expect that this Iowa offense is going to, you know, jump up and, and be better this week than, than they have – you know, in, in past weeks, there's just not very much evidence to to suggest that we're going to get much more out of that unit. And Wisconsin isn't exactly the you know Wisconsin of old defensively, but they are playing like a top 25 unit. So I would expect that, uh, you know, Iowa, which has a, a team performance rating of 128 overall offensively, 128 passing, 133 rushing, and they... Uh, do finally have Caleb Johnson back. 
uh, and healthy. He's back in, in the lineup, but still this, this Iowa offense uh, just, you know, can't get it done in, in any, uh, in any sense right now. So um, it's going to be a very, very tough matchup against the Wisconsin defense that has played, you know, maybe not to the elite level, uh, like they were the last three years when they were top 10, really top six in defensive team performance overall. Uh, they're currently 23rd. Um, but this offense for Wisconsin has been a, a little disappointing. I mean, they're, you know, four and one coming in, two and oh in uh, Big Ten play, still very much in the mix. The winner of this game is, is uh, you know, the favorite to, to make it to the Big Ten championship game. Um, but this Wisconsin offense still has a lot of room for improvement. I mean, there, you know, hopes were high uh, with uh, Phil Longo coming in, bringing in, you know, more of a uh, pass, uh, not necessarily pass heavy because he has had some, you know, quality rushing attacks in the past. And they did have Braylon Allen coming back first and foremost, Ches Malusi, who's been out with a season ending injury, uh, unfortunately, but, you know, still expect Wisconsin to, to run the ball and they are, uh, top 25 in rushing team performance on the offensive side of the ball, but I expected the passing attack to be better. Tanner Mordecai coming in as sort of a hand-picked guy, Shimmer DK, uh, in my opinion, the, the best receiver uh, who was left over. They also brought in guys like Will Pauling, Bryson Green, CJ Williams through the transfer portal, and it just hasn't quite worked yet. Uh, their 87th Wisconsin is in passing team performance on the offensive side of the ball a lot of room for improvement and again, a tough matchup against an Iowa defense that um, as bad as, you know, those numbers were on offense, bottom five, basically in every category, their top 15 defense top you know, sixth against the run ninth against the pass. Um, just a, a really, really tough team to beat. So there's not really a lot of evidence to suggest that that Wisconsin, especially passing attack. Uh, is going to take a step forward as well. So uh, our numbers do indicate Wisconsin is clearly the better team, more talented team, uh, better team on the field. They're playing like a top 25 team in team performance, Wisconsin. Uh, Iowa is 61st in overall team performance. Um, nevertheless, my you know past experience, uh, knowing how Iowa plays, I, I personally uh, am not as optimistic as I normally would be in this scenario. Um, so our, our final score projection, which is, of course, we couldn't get down to, you know, 30, 36 or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, our final score projection is 29, 16. That's probably going to mean uh, a couple of defensive touchdowns maybe. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I just, I see, I see Wisconsin winning this game. I think Wisconsin's the better team. The game being in Madison, I think, is important. Uh, just not sure Iowa's going to be able to score enough to win unless they're the ones that get, you know, two uh, defensive touchdowns. But, um, man, I just I find it hard to believe that Wisconsin's going to be able to pull away also. So my, my personal projection would be something uh, more in the 17 to 7, 17 to 10, 21 to, you know, 13. Um just just getting to double digits is going to be really, really tough. They certainly could do it. Uh, Wisconsin could take advantage, especially of those offensive injuries and, and you know, maybe shut Iowa out. Who knows? But um, I just, yeah, it, it's it's difficult for me to get on board with, with Iowa 
losing this game by by double digits. Xavier, when we uh, you know see this game, Big Ten game, we know it's going to be low scoring and all that. But can we get to under 36 and a half? Is that too much? Or is it just like, hey, we always think it's never going to be that low. And then it is. There's no way. Like, I just I just don't see. I, I think both teams offenses are better than in previous years uh, when, when I when we saw games like this. Right. Uh, I do think Iowa's offense is good enough to put up 10 to 12 or 10 to 13. Excuse me. Um, I guess it was Wisconsin defense that I know has, has been pretty good this year. But there's also a Wisconsin team that offensively, I think, has found its stride a little bit over the last couple of games. Uh, they put up 30-plus in two of their last three. Um, obviously, you know, I, I was a different beast as far as on the defensive side of the football. But come on, like 36, 36. That is – that is a, uh, feels egregious um, with, with how well at least both of these teams have been, have been playing. This isn't two bad teams by any means. And I think that's why it's, it's so funny to me because – I look at Iowa and I go, well, you know, Iowa's put up 41 this year, right? There's years that they won games with nine points and they put up a 40 spot to start the year off. And I know it was against, you know, a, a G5 team, but that hasn't necessarily meant anything if, you, if you're if you an Iowa fan. Uh, so I, I think that they go over, but I do think Wisconsin's just an outright better team. Like I said, I feel like offensively they found their stride a little bit. Um, and I do believe that, you know, I, I also trust their quarterback play a lot more, I think, at this point. Um, I think Mordecai has done enough at this point. Um, I also think he's taking care of the football, which is obviously with you know Luke Fickle's mo, which is keeping taking care of the football um, and making those third down throws when he has to. They're not often in third and longs and third and mediums with Braylon Allen and company, but when they are, he has been able to make those throws uh, most of the time. So give me Wisconsin here. I, I think that rushing attack continues to roll. Uh, I do understand Iowa's going to obviously want to take that away, but I think Tanner Mordecai can make those third and sixes, those third and five throws that you might need, to, that you're going to need to make to extend drives against Iowa. So give me Wisconsin here. They continue to play well. I mean, they've only got one loss. It's out of conference as well. They currently lead the Big Ten West. Uh, the winner of this game uh, goes to top the Big Ten West, correct? So yeah, uh, give me Wisconsin here, but I don't think it'll be under 36, uh, to be perfectly honest. All right, let's go over to the next game up here. We have got North Carolina hosting Miami. UNC is a three and a half point favorite. 56 and a half is the total here. And the big question here, Nick, is can Miami get up off the mat after that terrible loss to Georgia Tech and be competitive? And I have I've heard different thoughts about this game. It's some people say, hey, it's a great distraction that you have North Carolina uh, coming up. You have to prepare. You have to act like. That game is that game, and this game is this game, and you have to prep for UNC. You can't have outside distractions. I've heard other people say, well, you just lost to Georgia Tech. How are you going to get off the mat and beat UNC on the road in this game? And UNC looked – they destroyed Syracuse last week. So how do you see this one going? I, I uh, am curious to hear your thoughts. <laughs> well, I could definitely see it going either way um you know the the uh, my initial instinct uh well maybe that maybe that's not even true i was about to say something that wasn't wasn't necessarily true because i know how our numbers uh, work uh, you know i i know that we've been high on miami i mean we had miami projected to cover against georgia tech last week as as three touchdown favorites and you know 
they're sort of the opposite in some ways of of the Iowas, the armies, like I was saying, where uh, they've got all the talent in the world. I mean, they rank top five in defensive roster strength. Um, they have played you know, like a really, really good team. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the underlying numbers are quite good, not just on defense, on offense as well. Um, but they just sometimes, and, and last week, the most shining example, um, they play down to the level of their competition and they just do silly things that end up costing them a game when, when they should, where they have a clear talent edge when they are the better team. They let a team hung, you know, hang around and then make a, a stupid mistake and, and uh, their opponent makes them pay for it. And, and that's what happened last week. Now, so what I was going to say is that uh, my, my first instinct, uh, what I expect most people's instincts is, I, I should say, is, okay, they lost last week to Georgia Tech. North Carolina is coming. They're riding high. They've got Drake May, you know, Tess Walker's back. Um, this North Carolina team is just going to go in and, and beat Miami. Uh, and I understand it. I, I, I understand that way of thinking. Uh, certainly could happen. I mean, this game is in, in Chapel Hill. Uh, Miami's reeling. So there's there's every opportunity for North Carolina um, just to, to put up a, a really, really impressive performance for Miami to lay down and and say, oh, you know, the the uh, you know, the team they were last year, as bad as they were. Uh, like, oh, we haven't actually gotten any better. We're 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 still that. We still might not make it to a bowl game, even if if you know things uh, really start to spiral. Um, but knowing again how our numbers work, knowing how strong our numbers think that that this Miami team is, you know, top fifteen in roster strength, uh, playing like believe it or not, a top five team in our team performance numbers. I mean, the stats across the board. You know, things like scoring margin, they're 11th in the country. Net yards per play uh, against FBS opponents, they are top 10. Uh, net points per drive, they're top 20. Net yards per pass attempt, top 20. Net success rate, top five. Uh, you know, net uh, PPA or, or uh, predicted points added, uh, they are top five. You know, they're, they are not outside the top 30 in any of those primary offensive or defensive categories you know they're just they're a solid overall team uh they just found a way to to lose a game they shouldn't have and and did it in a, a really really uh noticeable way but you know kind of like what what you were saying are they going to be able to to right the ship immediately because this is miami uh, or because this is north carolina right an opponent that they're going to be able to get up for and and uh, have an opportunity to, to set things right. There's a great opportunity for that because really, quite honestly, the, the loss to Georgia tech, other than being embarrassing <laughs> the way it happened, all of Miami's goals for this season are the same. You know, nothing really has changed. Um, there's even still, you know, if, if everything were to go right from here on out, there's still a path, to the playoff for Miami. Um, if they win the ACC title, they're one of only, you know, a couple of, of one loss teams. They could absolutely get back in the mix. Um, you know, so they, they control uh, their situation to get to the ACC championship game. They could definitely 
you know, are talented enough to beat any team on the schedule remaining. And that includes North Carolina. So um, there, there is a real opportunity here to, you know, get back. Uh, the fact that this game, you know, the, the odds makers have it at only three and a half. So if you assume two and a half points for home field advantage, um, these, you know, the odds makers show how, how evenly matched these two teams are. And that one point, you know, maybe that's not even, maybe that extra one point is, is uh, just sort of the, the ugliness of it or, or sort of what people's opinion uh, of Miami right now is, or, or, you know, the, the potential that, that uh, this Miami team's ready to spiral out of control. So perhaps it's, it's an opportunity uh, for us from a projection standpoint, um, but certainly for Miami as well, because all three of our, all three of our projection models, uh, though have North Carolina favored in the game, uh, it's all by fewer than two points. So Miami, you know, is expected to cover and yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if, uh, this Miami team comes out motivated and goes on the road and, and beats North Carolina. Um, but you know, with Drake May, with Tez Walker, with an offense that's, uh, got the potential that they do at, at North Carolina with a defense that is noticeably improved. Uh, it's a top 35 defense in team performance after being, you know, so bad uh, the last two, three years. You know, I could also see Miami winning 42-14. You know, this, this game uh, really has a, a wide range of potential outcomes. Um, I think the most likely is it's going to be decided by a field goal one way or the other. Um, but there's definitely a scenario where this one ends up being a blowout. Um, and if that's the case, it's probably uh, Miami who's getting blown out. Xavier, your thoughts here. I mean, I have wanted to hear what you were going to say about this game since we saw uh, Mario Cristobal with the big, uh, we'll call it a mishap here. So, uh, do you think that um, Miami bounces back and can make this a competitive game, or are you on the Tar Heels here pretty strongly? I am on North Carolina to wipe them, to be honest with you. I just don't think that that team is mentally strong enough to bounce back from a loss like that. Hell, I, I said in a couple of group chats after the loss, I was like, that's a fireable offense. I know it's not going to happen. Um, I, was, I understand that you know that was a bit hyperbolic for me at the time. But if he if he takes a kneel there, they win the game, they go away, and we're not talking about this. Um, it, it just felt unnecessary. And, you know, then it's like Mario Cristobal takes full responsibility. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, what else are you supposed to do? Right. I like, mean, wasn't anybody with- else's decision. Right. So. Are you really going to blame the kids for this? Because did you watch your, did you watch your decision making? Um, but more importantly, the reason as to why is I just – and this was something I was worried about going into this – part of the schedule for Miami, even if they had to beat Georgia Tech. In my head, they just haven't played anybody up until this point. Now, yes, they, they beat AM week one, so I'll give them a lot of credit for that, especially with the way AM still looks now with Max Johnson. But then they played Bethune-Cookman, Temple, and then last week, Georgia Tech. I'm sorry, but that's as far as away from battle-tested as you could get five weeks into a season, and I'm just not sure that they were going to be prepared for the daunting, you know, three-week tilt that they have here where they have to see UNC, then Clemson, right? And then they have to go play NC State in two weeks. And then they have Florida State after that. Like, 
or sorry, NC State in uh, in three weeks, and then they have to see Florida State after that. So I'm just like I'm looking at their their schedule, and I go, was Miami ready at all? And the biggest concern for me is that offense just looks so pedestrian against a Georgia Tech team that offensively has been pretty good, right? Georgia Tech has been a sneakily one of the best offensive teams in the country. Haynes King uh, has really improved them. I am right. surprised. But their defense has still been a mesh paper bag. And so at the end of the day, for you to only put up a 20 spot on that defense is alarming. I'm sorry. Like, you know, Bowling Green put up almost 40 on that exact same defense a week ago. And Connor Basilek didn't even throw – he threw one touchdown. Yet, you know, we got Tyler Van Dyke who looks like he's been improved, you know, throughout the spring and in the first game of the year. Like the offense had, you know, finally hit its stride. Blase, blase, blase. They go up and they drop an egg. And it's like, what what, what happened? You know, Van Dyke throws three picks. I, I just – they looked like they regressed all in one night to what they were yeah. last year. And for me, that's – like I, I can't get over that for going into this week's game against a team that on the flip side I think is hitting its stride especially on the other end of the football you know we've talked about it I feel like to a blue in the face that if North Carolina had a defense the sky's the limit for that roster uh we know Drake May we know that offense can get it going and we know how good that offense can be but if they get like a pulse of defense then you have to really put them into the conversation as an SEC contender and now that they're showing that they have somewhat of a defense I think they killed Miami this weekend. So give me, give, give me, uh, give heels. me North Carolina. Yeah, give me North Carolina big. Um, I'm not, I, I'm not too much of a fan of what Miami's got going right now. I was worried about this part of the year, anyways. And after last week's debacle, I'm not sure if those kids are going to be mentally locked in enough to then play a team that has national championship aspirations on their mind. Um, and I mean, Nick is right. At the end of the day, Miami still has everything in front of them. But I don't know if those kids really think that because I think that they, you know, all intents and purposes, they were looking at this game and probably the Florida State matchup as their two losses this year or at least the two most competitive games of the year. And now that you've taken that one loss to Georgia Tech, that kind of puts a, 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 a certifiable wrench in your plans. All right, let's go. Uh, let's stick in or go to the SEC here and go to two teams coming off some tough losses here. Missouri on the road against Kentucky. Kentucky is a two and a half point home favorite against the Tigers. 52 and a half is the total here. Uh, Nick, both these teams, like I said, coming off uh, pretty big losses. Um, I kind of like Missouri. Uh, I, I think Luther Burden is a stud. Brady Cook finally threw his first pick, but it was because that defense got them down. I think we're going to see a high scoring game here for sure. It's going to be a fun one. I kind of like the Tigers here, though. How do you see this game playing out? Yeah, I, I think I agree. Um, uh, Brady Cook has, has been really, really uh, well. So, okay, <laughs> let me let me take it back. So, I personally, I'm I'm with you personally. Uh, Missouri and Brady Cook has has been much better than expected. I did not expect him to uh, be able to you know lead a, a passing attack that ranks 25th in. Uh, team performance passing top 25 overall on offense. Um, I thought if this Missouri offense, you know, was going to take a step forward, certainly Luther Burden was going to have something to do with it. And, and he is uh, incredible. And, and, you know, it's great to see 
that that he is a featured part of the offense because he, he wasn't as much last year. And as a true freshman, I guess somewhat understandable, but um, it's it's great to see him, you know, truly living up to uh, that that level of potential that was, uh, you know, that, that he had coming out of high school and and uh, the the you know five stars that that he earned as a, a high school standout. But I would not have expected Brady Cook to to you know put up these types of numbers. He's thrown for, I mean, what three hundred something yards and in, in four straight games now. Um, that that is is surprising to me. Um, can it carry over? Uh, you know, Kentucky gave up 435 passing yards to uh, Georgia last week. And so it, it certainly can happen. Now, I, I do believe that, that uh, everybody else Kentucky played and certainly, you know, <laughs> they, they have not played uh, any elite passing offenses or, or what you might call uh, elite passing offenses. But um, nobody else has thrown for 250 yards uh, against Kentucky. Um, so, you know, maybe it's, it's, uh, somewhere in between. I, I do think that, that, you know, Kentucky has the potential to make things difficult for this Missouri offense. They are a talented team. They're 30th in defensive roster strength. Um, even, you know, with as, as poorly as last week played out, uh, this Kentucky defense still is a top 50 unit in defensive team performance. They're top 25 against the run, 45th against the pass. Um, so, you know, it, it would not shock me if uh, this this unit steps up, kind of shakes itself off, similar to like we were saying maybe uh, with how Miami could respond, um, and puts together a, a really solid game. And, you know, maybe Missouri struggles a little bit more than we've seen uh, the, the past few weeks. Um, I absolutely think that that's possible because, you know, LSU, one of the worst defenses in the country, statistically speaking. Prior to that, Vanderbilt, Memphis, you know, not necessarily uh, what you would expect to be um, the, the toughest uh, matchups for Missouri defensively. So uh, this is, is going to be, I think, potentially a tougher test. Um, this is a veteran Kentucky defense. They've had a, a couple of injuries as well, but uh, I, I do expect a team that has been as well coached and well prepared as Kentucky has been in the past. Um, I think there's a, a better chance than not that they shake it off and, and play this one well, you know, play better. This is a, a home game. Uh, Kentucky has a little bit more of a proven track record. And so with that, even though, you know, I, I, I you know, I'm, I'm struggling with exactly how to, to put it into words. Our projections have Kentucky favored, actually have Kentucky expected to cover the two and a half, which is the official line. Our, our projections right around a, a field goal. Uh, the, the stats only model likes Kentucky a little bit more. And that's more of the, you know, cold hearted only looks at the numbers. Um, how you've played on the field this year. And that one is even stronger on Kentucky. The talent edge model has Kentucky favored, but uh, would have Missouri uh, covering uh, just barely. This was almost a scenario where all three lined up on, on the favorite. But um, my 
my brain, what I've seen, especially what I saw, you know, how Kentucky sort of fell apart last week. Also, how good Missouri has looked, especially on offense, which was a bit of a surprise. I I personally, you know, agree with what you were saying that that this is a spot where uh, Missouri, you know, could maybe should go out and, and uh, pick up a big SEC East win on the road. But our numbers disagree. Our numbers are not ready to write off Kentucky just yet, and or uh, don't fully believe in Missouri. Uh, as as being able to take advantage of, of quite this situation. Um, so uh, these are, are two fairly evenly matched teams. Uh, Missouri on a neutral field, you could say, had a, a slight talent edge. Uh, but this game being in Lexington, I, I do think that um, this is definitely a, a bounce-back spot for Kentucky uh, where they're going to have an opportunity to, to win a game. It's probably going to be very, very close, a field goal one way or the other. There are a lot of those this week, and a lot of them we're talking about. Um, but uh, I do kind of understand where our numbers are coming from, even though, even if if my eyes don't necessarily agree. Yeah, Xavier, what do you think? Are you on the Kentucky side here, or do you like Missouri to come away with this game? Obviously, in Kentucky is tougher for Missouri, and but they're trying to get a foothold here. That this team looks pretty good. What do you think? I really like Missouri in this matchup. And the reason as to why is Devin Leary still hasn't shown an ability to be consistent enough to win you big games in the SEC just yet. On the flip side, Brady Cook has. I mean, he was good enough last week. I don't care what, you know, what the actual scoreline was and what actually happened, you know, on that note. The offense was good enough to win last week, period. Kentucky probably hasn't had a good enough game from Devin Leary in SEC play yet this year, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, obviously, they they beat the brakes off of Florida, but he threw nine of nineteen, if I if memory serves me correctly. Um, you know, even the game against Vanderbilt that they win by seventeen, he goes fifteen of twenty nine, two hundred five, one touchdown, two interceptions. Like Devin Leary has not put together a game yet this year that makes me think, yeah, that guy can win you a massive game in the in the SEC right now. Um, by and what I mean, and by, what I mean by him winning the game is obviously, you know, he has the talent to go out there and do so. Uh, on the flip side, I think Missouri, you know, is coming off of a loss that they probably feel like they don't deserve uh, in some respects. Uh, you know, at least on the offensive side of the football. And I think as long as their defense can show some type of fortitude, and the one thing that you know, and we know matchups makes fights. LSU you know, really decided to run the football on them last week, which doesn't bode well uh, for this week against uh, a Kentucky team with Ray Davis that really will gonna, is going to hone in on that. Uh, not only did Logan Diggs run for 134 yards, Jaden Daniels got what he pretty much what he wanted on the ground as well, uh, running for a buck 30 himself. So they ran for almost, you know, 200, 250 yards as a team uh, this week. And it really is what got LSU back in the game in that second half. It wasn't necessarily the passing game, uh, which I thought Missouri did a really good, a really good job of, uh, for the better part of the first half, that run game just kind of was there all afternoon and Missouri really had no answer. So that would be uh, rather concerning for me, from Missouri's point of view. But the one thing I will say about their offense is their offense is extremely balanced. And with that being the case, you're going to keep the ball out of Kentucky's hand more time than not. And Missouri just, I mean, they, they put up points. Uh, they're a team that's put up 30-plus, I believe, in all but one game this year, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, and that was against Middle Tennessee to start the year. So I, I really think that this is a team that offensively is humming. Defense got to show up a little bit more. 
But I really feel like this is going to be much more like the Vanderbilt game for them. Offense does more than enough. Um, and the defense kind of just holds on for dear life. You know, I, I see this as a 38-28 kind of game. Uh, Kentucky having a crucial turnover here or there that really just, you know, allows Missouri to run away with it, quote-unquote. Uh, but, yeah, I, this game, I'm going to be obviously honed in on this one a lot because I think these are the two teams that, you know, outside of Tennessee – Obviously, can, can can make Georgia's life pretty difficult in the SEC East this year, uh, but I'm excited to see what Devin Lear is going to have to do against a defense or against a team that can put up 40 points in a flash. All right, let's go to a Pac-12 matchup that I love here. Not the game of the week. There's two really good games that are probably better than this one, but I like this one. It's UCLA on the road against Oregon State. Oregon State is a three and a half point home favorite, 54 and a half is the total here. Nick, I like the under in this game. I think this is a very, very, very strong UCLA defense, a pretty good Oregon State defense. Both offenses are strong, but you have a you know freshman QB against Oregon State and a UCLA defense that kind of, you know, they're very good at stopping the run. They're a top five team against the run. Oregon State works well behind the run. They match up very well here. And I just, I love the under in this game. I have no idea who's going to win it though. Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't tell you on that one. So how do you see this game playing out? Yeah. Our, our projection comes in under, uh, honestly, I'm a little surprised that it was, uh, posted at, at, uh, 54 and a half. I don't know if it's come down any from there. Um, but that would is what it was uh, on Tuesday at least. Um, I agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, UCLA, we found out last week against Washington State, uh, there was a question, is this UCLA defense really this good? Are they really as improved as the numbers would indicate? They haven't really played an offense that uh, was, uh, you know, uh, yeah, even when respected they played, that much. Yeah, even when they played Utah, it was with a backup QB. So. Yeah, exactly, and and so it was a it was a bit of an open question, but I feel like UCLA did a a pretty good job of answering it. They are uh, number one in our defensive team performance numbers after last week, so they moved up uh, after playing a, a Washington State offense that had been, um, you know, really prolific. Uh, definitely, you know, from a passing standpoint, very very good. Uh, offense statistically and, and UCLA really kept them in check. Um, so they're number one in overall defensive team performance. They are number seven against the pass, number four against the run. And they're going off, you know, going against an Oregon State offense that grades out similarly, quite honestly. I mean, they're, you know, top 10 in overall offensive team performance, 14th passing, number six rushing uh dj uyunglele last week against cal looked incredibly good um you know throwing the football looked great six touchdowns i believe um and and had some really really nice throws in there as well uh the rushing attack is good with uh you know damian martinez deshaun fenwick it's deep um we've seen some playmaking ability from guys like uh anthony gould silas bolden uh, the offensive line continues to be uh, a very, very solid unit. Last year, they graded out as number one in O-line performance. This year, not quite there, but you know, still a top 30 unit uh, statistically and a very experienced unit has the potential to uh, you know, be even better. So 
this is a, a real strength versus strength that Oregon State offense against the UCLA defense. But I agree with you that, you know, the Oregon State defense, um, pretty good as well. I think they're, you know, potentially even better than the numbers would indicate. Certainly have the potential to play better than the numbers would indicate. They're, fifth, uh, excuse me, 41st in defensive team performance overall, 41st against the pass, uh, 64th against the run. Look at some of the individual uh category statistically you know 60th in yards per pass attempt against fbs opponents 81st in success rate allowed 53rd yards per play allowed in uh, fbs games only so uh, some some somewhat mediocre numbers but uh you know this is a team that they're they're young um but are still i think capable of playing like a you know top 25 type unit especially at home and especially you know in a, in a game it's going to kick off at, at 5 p.m local time so not a not a full you know night game prime time uh atmosphere but uh in the second half you know the you would expect it'll it'll be dark and and it'll be kind of one of those uh, even more difficult environments than playing in Corvallis usually is. So I think that that there are a lot of uh, reasons to expect that this is a game that Oregon State is is going to be able to win. You know, understandably that UCLA offense grades out a little bit worse than the uh, Oregon State defense. They're relying on a true freshman quarterback going on the road. You know, Dante Moore. Uh, lost the trip to Utah, UCLA. That that was the one loss they had. Um, going on the road again, playing a very tough Oregon State team in a tough uh, road environment. You know, I don't. Me personally, yeah, it's 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 a really really tough spot. Now, what do the numbers say? <laughs> this is a one of just a few where uh, our numbers think that the wrong team is favored. We actually have UCLA. Uh, as a you know, little less than uh, two tenths of a point favorite in this game on the road, the Talent Edge uh, UCLA would be favored by more than two and a half. And in the Prism model, the stats only model, um, that one does have Oregon State favored, but by less than the, the three and a half. So um, even though you know all the scenarios that I outlined uh, seem to to really point toward Oregon State. You know our numbers aren't aren't quite on board, so my level of optimism isn't isn't uh, super high. Um, but this this is a pretty good UCLA team that statistically has you know arguably the best defense in the country. Uh, will they be able to rely on uh, you know an improving rushing attack and a true freshman making uh, you know getting another opportunity to go on the road and, and pick up a big win in a tough spot? I don't know. It's sort of a you know maybe maybe I, I won't believe it until I see it. It's just whether or not you know we we might see it this week. At least our projections seem to think so. Xavier, do you have a strong pull one way or the other in this game between UCLA and Oregon State? Well, I was almost completely wrong about UCLA last week, uh, and I was been completely wrong about Oregon State in previous weeks. So at this point, somebody's <laughs> gonna, somebody's got to prove me right this week, right? Um, I think Oregon State is a team that I just feel more comfortable with at the moment. Now, once again, I understand at some point in particular, uh, Dante Moore is going to continue to hit his stride in this conference. And, you know, this is a kid who 
extremely talented, has all the tools. My only concern is I, I just feel like they lean on him a little bit too much in the passing game. Now, that, that could be scheme-driven. It probably is. Uh, but 44 times last week was a little mind-boggling for me for a team that ran the ball as well as they did last week, right? 30 carries for Carson Steele, 140 yards. Um, you know, you look at what Dante Moore did through the air. It wasn't all that impressive, and it, it felt at times unnecessary. Um, now, their defense just played lights out, right? Forcing Cam Ward into probably his wor- into easily his worst game of the year. Um, and that defense is legit. But once again, so is Oregon State's to an extent. Obviously, I see that they're coming off of a game against the Cal where they gave up 40 points in that ball game. It's probably DJ's best outing, especially as a passer with five TDs. And I think that that's a kind of a game that you don't want to see a guy come off of when they've got to go play your defense next because he's going to be immensely confident in himself. On the other on the other end, I do think that UCLA's um, rush defense – it is, it is penetrable. I really do. I think Utah showed some of that in that game uh, earlier in the year that they can run on them. Um, on the flip side, I do think that if you're able to slow down Utah or sorry UCLA's run game, you have a really good shot to force Dante Moore into being just a passer. And I'm not sure he's taken that step yet to where I trust him in that way. On top of that, this game is at Oregon State. Um, and I, I really think that, you know, home cooking helped Dante Moore a little bit last week. This week, not so much. Give me Oregon State. I, I do believe that they've just played a little bit more of a harder schedule thus far. They're a little bit more battle tested. Uh, they've played, you know, they've played the likes of Utah. They've played Washington State already. Uh, obviously, UCLA has also contended with those teams as well. But I mean, NC Central, San Diego State, not two teams. I'm going to go ahead and write home about where that game against Cal last week. It, it definitely proved a lot for me, Oregon State wise, because I really wanted to see what, what if they could win in a shootout. They've checked that box, at least in some respects, last week. So I'm going to lean with the Beavers on this one. I think DJ also may have turned a corner last week. Um, and if he has, this Oregon State team I've already had the balance to contend with anybody in the conference. If DJ can be somewhat, can be 85 to 90% of the passer he was last week, the conference better watch out for this team going forward. Um, I understand that they have one loss on their belt, but if they can continue to just roll with that one loss, the only team that they after this, the only ranked games that they'll have are at the very end of the year, and that's against Washington and Oregon in back-to-back matchups. So they could be moving really confidently into the end of the year if they're able to get past the Bruins. All right, let's go to one of the big games of the week. Uh, it is number ten USC on the road at number twenty-one Notre Dame, and the line here is Notre Dame as a two and a half point home favorite. Sixty-two and a half is the total. I like USC, Nick. Um, I just I don't trust what I've seen from Notre Dame so far. I don't know that I trust Sam Hartman. I do think anyone can score on USC, so they should be able to put up some points. But it is hard to stop USC. I think they had their bump last week against Arizona. It's kind of good to get that one out of the way so you can refocus for this important game here. So maybe probably looking past Arizona at Notre Dame a little bit as well. So your thoughts on this matchup and who do you like? Well, I mean, one number in particular jumps out to me, uh, and and that's USC's rushing defensive team performance. I mean, they're 115th in stopping the run. Uh, Notre Dame, you know, when we've seen them at their best this year, in my opinion, it, it's when they, you know, lined up and, and let Audric Estime and his, you know, 230 pounds uh, just sort of wear down that that offensive line 
which is a you know top 20 unit in our O-line performance ratings, top three, if you just look at the raw talent that they've accumulated uh, within that unit. Uh, that, that, you know, seems to me like if Notre Dame wanted to line up and, and run the football, um, I'm not very optimistic that USC would be able to stop it. Um, that said, you know, though we do have Notre Dame favored in this game, it, it is basically a coin flip. I mean, they are less than a, uh, a one point favorite, right around a half point favorite in the team strength model. Um, the talent edge, we give it to Notre Dame by about half a point. The prism, uh, the the stats only model, Notre Dame would be favored by about one and two thirds of a point. Uh, all of those come with a two and a half point home field advantage. So on a neutral field, we'd be, you know, on UCLA favored in, in all three of those uh, projections. UCLA in team performance overall ranks number one in our numbers. They are number two passing, number two rushing. Caleb Williams, of course. Um, one of one of the greatest college quarterbacks maybe of all time time to start uh uh talking in in those types of ways um you know some of the things that he did last week even though the the overall numbers weren't quite as impressive you know throwing the football as as he was earlier in previous weeks uh he kind of willed that team to victory and you know the scramble touchdown uh where he just was able to to stretch the ball over the line, really impressive. The you know quarterback sneak there where he had to spin off and and find his way in. Um, the guy just you know he does all the all the little things or you know unexpected things so well, and then the uh, the other things he he does pretty spectacularly. So um, uh, when you've got a guy like Caleb Williams, you got a chance to win. And, and yeah. Sam Hartman is. Uh, very, very good, you know, grades out really, really well on our individual player ratings um, early in the season, um, you know, was playing where it looked like he might be in that Heisman conversation. It's, it's come back a little bit. Uh, part of that, you know, Notre Dame didn't, uh, you know, their, their wide receiver group uh, as a whole looks like a little bit of a, a weak spot. You could argue. Um, the raw talent numbers are pretty good. I mean, they're you know, eighth in average two four seven rating coming in. They're tenth in average rival rating, ninth in on three rating. So um, it's a talented group. But uh, last week in particular, the last couple of games, Jaden Thomas, Jaden Greathouse have, have uh, been banged up. It's a really really young group just in general, um, and you know they they just haven't quite been clicking on all cylinders in, in back-to-back road games. Uh, not necessarily, you know, Duke isn't the, the toughest environment, but um, a difficult spot playing a, a really, really good, uh, you know, there, there's some talent on that Duke defense for sure, especially a, a well-coached unit with Mike Elko. Um, Notre Dame found a way to, to, to win that one. Uh, the Ohio State game, of course, was was a slugfest going uh, another home game. Great environment like we'll see this week against USC. But you're going up against, you know, one of the top two most talented defenses in the country. So it's somewhat understandable that the, you know, offense uh, struggled to score. Um, but last week at, at Louisville, you know, things didn't really get uh, that much better. 
so it's 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 been trending a little bit in the wrong direction after such a, a hot start um, that this Notre Dame offense, um, you know, just just uh, isn't quite as good maybe as they looked. And and I guess you know looking looking back at those first four opponents, uh, they just manhandled Navy, Tennessee State, not a very good FCS team. Uh, NC State's got you know some issues here and there, and Central Michigan right now ranks as one of the you know bottom five or six teams in the country in our power rating. So um, it's been a, a big jump in competition. So it's somewhat understandable that, you know, two weeks ago, Sam Hartman completed fewer than 50% of his passes last week through three picks, uh, his first three of the season. But, you know, Louisville obviously did some things that uh, he struggled with and, and uh, everybody on that USC Coaching staff certainly, you know, saw those things, and and we'll see. USC is as uh, as bad as the numbers are, you know, in things like success rate allowed. They're sixty seventh in PPA per play uh, against. They're ninety eighth. You know, fifty ninth in yards per pass attempt, seventieth in yards per play allowed, sixty fifth in in uh, points per game allowed. Uh, those are against FBS opponents. So, you know, it, it's definitely a susceptible unit there just barely inside the top 80 in overall team performance. Um, and, and they're 59th against the pass. I think Notre Dame's going to have an opportunity to move the football, you know, get right, really can lean on that that rushing attack, um, but should have the ability to move the, the football through the air as well. That wide receiver group, I think, is getting healthier. Um, but, you know, this this USC team is is yet again, for the fourth game in a row, a really, really, talented team um and you know is that notre dame defense going to be able to stop the best offense in the country uh number one in scoring against fps opponents per game number two in yards for play number five points per drive number three in yards for pass attempt top 10 in success rate number three in epa per play so um usc just across the board has the best player in college football has um you know one of the best play callers in college football Ranks number one in offensive roster strength. Um, it's it's going to be really, really, really difficult for Notre Dame to uh, keep that unit in check. That said, again, Notre Dame talented team. Get this game at home. It's a really, really long trip. Um, so I, I, you know, wouldn't shock me if Notre Dame finds a way to win this one, kind of like they did against Duke. But I don't expect it to be that type of game. I think if Notre Dame wins this one, uh, it's going to be more of the you know, they come out on the, the right side of, of the type of game that USA, uh, USC played last week against Arizona, where USC just couldn't quite put them away. And then, you know, coin flip overtime, uh, whether it's a last minute field goal or, or something like that again. Um, maybe Notre Dame finds a way to win just because they're a little bit, uh, a little bit better, more well rounded than, than Arizona, a little healthier. Arizona, of course, didn't have a starting quarterback or running back. Um, so it should be a great game, should be a great environment. Uh, very, very excited to see the USC offense against, you know, a top 25 defense that, that Notre Dame's got. Uh, excited to see maybe if that USC defense um, learned some things on, on, you know, from from the tape of Ohio State and Duke and, and uh, even Louisville, how they uh, have, have given Notre Dame some fit. So uh should be a should be an absolute you know one that i'm i'm dedicating full viewing 
yeah. Space Four. Really, really looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, it's one of those games that, again, could could go either way. I could see USC winning. I could see Notre Dame uh, pulling it out. This could be the the type of game where uh, Notre Dame just bullies USC and wins by two touchdowns. Could be the type of game where USC just marches up and down the field and and wins by three touchdowns. This one, I personally don't have a great read on uh, how this game will play out. I just know that you know our numbers think it's it's pretty well. Uh, pretty evenly matched, and and it's one I'm really really looking forward to watching. Xavier, what do you think? You gonna put a little cheddar on this game, or are you gonna just sit back and watch it for the experience? Gonna sit back and watch it for the experience. I don't even want to touch this game to be honest with you, because yeah. both teams feel like they haven't hit their stride in either direction. Or you know, I, I think offensively, Notre Dame has not hit his stride yet. I feel like the last two losses that they've had or easily winnable games for them if their offense just shows up. I mean, 14 points against Ohio State team that pretty much was trying to hand you the game. Um, and then, you know, this previous week, I feel like Louisville, like I said, sleptwalked for almost a half, and, you know, you, you you didn't capitalize on that. On the flip side, can a can the USC team play defense, right? Like, that, that's, the, that's the question that needs to be answered. And is this the game? I know Sam Hartman reports where he was pretty hobbled last week. Uh, or not 100%, but I, I this is the game for me that I think Lincoln Riley has to prove to me that his team is ready to take that next step into the college football playoff because USC's defense, for all intents and purposes, has been just laughable the last three weeks. I mean, you, you, your, your offense has done everything it possibly could to hand you like just simple wins, not. Not, not, you know, not back and forth affairs like last week. Um, and, you know, you're up, what, four scores against Colorado. Your offense has put up 40-plus in the last four games. And the defense has been like, all right, cool, offense, we appreciate the help, but we're going to also give up 40-plus in the last two. <laughs> we're going to give up 28 to an Arizona State team that doesn't belong on the same field as us. Like, you know, hey, uh, we're possibly going to fold against an Arizona team that's playing with its backup quarterback. Like, these are all things that just – I'm just – if USC doesn't show up on Saturday, Nick is absolutely right. Like Notre Dame is going to just run through them. Um, and it's going to be more of a physical contest where Notre Dame, you know, bullies these guys into submission. Um, and no matter what Caleb Williams does, they're not going to have enough in the tank because Notre Dame's going to be able to run the football, keep that offense off the field, and win the game by, you know, 10 points. On the flip side of that, I think the most important thing for USC in this game is, to, is the way that they start. They score two t- touchdowns on the first two drives. This might be a rough housing um, for US for, for Notre Dame in the favor of USC because I genuinely don't think that Notre Dame offense can come back from a two-score deficit. Uh, not only did they show that somewhat last week against Louisville, uh, but I also think that they just don't have the talent on the outside to compete. Um, and if they can't run the football, if they can't control the time of possession, all things that they weren't able to do against Louisville last week, and you're going to see a team struggle to really, you know, slow down a team in USC that, you know, you can stop them a couple of times, but you just know, like, it's an inevitability. They're going to hit a big play, possibly five, if you don't if you do not do your job, right? Like, you just know that Caleb Williams is going to break a sack here. Mario Williams is going to find himself 45 yards down the field in the back of the end zone, touchdown. You know, Caleb Williams is going to read your defense pre-snap, make the proper check, hit the tight end in the middle of the field that you weren't deciding to cover on a blitz touchdown. And now you're looking at Sam Hartman like, all right, bro, we got to deal like we're back at Wake Forest. And I just don't think they have that in the tank. 
give me USC to win this game, but I would not be surprised if Notre Dame walks away with the upset. And if they do, we just we just got to really start asking some Lincoln Riley questions, man. Like, this is the second school in a row that you've had all the talent possible, but don't seem to get it done in the most important areas. Um, especially on the, like I said, especially when we're talking about, you know, his defense in particular, we got to start asking some questions about this guy as far as, you know, what he's doing and not doing, um, on the defense side of football. Cause bro, this is just, his defense just does not show up whatsoever, um, in, in games that they're supposed to. So give me USC. I think they have, a, they have too much offense for a Notre Dame team that offensively has looked inept at times, but would not be surprised if Notre Dame is able to punch these boys in the mouth. And we're asking ourselves, where does it USC go from here after losing the Notre Dame? Number eight versus number seven. This is the game of the week in the Pac-12. Oregon at Washington. Washington is a two and a half point home favorite. Sixty-seven and a half is the total in this game, Nick. I kind of like Oregon, but I feel like neither one of these teams has been tested for us to really know who is going to come out in this game. It's going to be too close. I understand that Washington is at home. Maybe that, that gives them more of an advantage than I'm giving them the credit towards. I just, we saw Oregon stop Colorado's passing attack, which is really good. Still like ranked top five among PFF and everything, but Washington is one and one with a bullet. So are they that much better than Colorado offensively? And we know that defense is strong. Is this going to be a Washington win at home? Everything adds up for them? Or we've seen a little bit more from Oregon. Do you trust what you've seen more from Oregon? How do you see this one going? This one is is yet another just incredibly evenly matched uh, games, <laughs> you know, um, uh, for our power rating. I mean, you mentioned that the where they are in the polls. Uh, Washington is, is number six, Oregon is number three in our power rating. So, so, you know, I would argue that, that this game is an even bigger one, uh, than might, you know, be currently suggested by the names next to their, or the, the numbers next to their names, uh, on the, the bottom line. So, uh, this matchup is, uh, Man, you know, I, I I feel like I'm trying to to think of a different way to say what I've said four or five other times already today. <laughs> uh, very evenly matched teams. Um, Washington is top five in overall uh, offensive team performance. Uh, Oregon is top five in overall team performance. Um, they rank, you know, offensively at, at, at the very top, just a little bit more efficient. Than Washington, uh, even though those raw Washington numbers are, are eye popping, and, and you know part of the reason maybe they don't grade out as well is they've they've uh, played a lot more garbage time than than uh, Oregon. Although you know, Oregon's had plenty of uh, blowouts as well, so maybe that's maybe that's not it. Um, this game being in Seattle is of course a big deal. Um, it is a, a fairly early game on the the West Coast. I think twelve thirty local time. Um, so, you know, maybe a little less of a, a real home field advantage than if this were a, a primetime night game. But still, Washington is, is one of the loudest venues uh, in the country. Uh, every seat will be filled. And, you know, this is this is not just a you know top 10 matchup. It's it's uh, 
arguably the most heated rivalry in, in the Pac-12. Um, both of these teams have, you know, the, the big in-state rivals at the end of the season, but uh, the fan bases, my, my observation, um, this, this strikes me as a, a little more of the, you know, Georgia, Florida type scenario where um, those two fan bases just despise one another. And it's a, a year round type thing um, that, that, goes even beyond the the in-state rivalry so um the matchup itself <laughs> you know it 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 could go either way i mean the the quarterbacks are two of the best in the country michael Penix and bo Nix. um you know the offenses two of the best in the country oregon grades out a little bit better defensively they're 17th in defensive team performance uh top five against the pass so that is definitely um you know if you're if you're thinking oregon's going to be able to to go in and, and pick up a road uh upset win which i maybe buried the lead our projections do have oregon favored in this game um you know that pass defense is is probably going to be part of it um the uh arrival of, of Kyrie jackson has been a big deal for Oregon this year. He play has played a lot better uh, than probably just about anybody is, uh, would have expected. Uh, I've seen some real buzz surrounding him from some of the NFL draft folks out there. You know, slotting him in at one of those quarterback position cornerback positions, uh, the the really you know the only spot that there was an opening from last year's starting lineup for Oregon. Um, he's he's stepped in and, and become one of the best uh corners and and certainly the pac 12 and and will be somebody that washington has to you know find a way to 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 beat um also war you know washington is is dealing with some injuries in the wide receiver group um joe mcmillan has missed a little time roma dunza got a little banged up on uh, covering an onside kick at the end of that Arizona game. Both are expected to play, so I don't think that that you know they're going to be uh, without their services. But, um, you know, will either, will both be 100%? That, that's a little bit of a concern potentially, especially when you're going up against a defense that's been as good as it has been this year uh, against the pass. Jalen Polk, you know, gives Washington – three of the best receivers in the country. He's been great. Uh, we've seen a little bit uh, from Jeremy Bernard. I mean, the, the, you know, the group is deep um, and Penix has been so good that, that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily expect a, a huge drop off um, even if Adunza or, or, or McMillan are limited in some way, but um, you know, hope that, that both are back and, and close to hundred percent. And, you know, we'll just see, will this Washington defense, which grades out top 20 against the pass, uh, does have some really, really talented pass rushers, but has been susceptible, you know, to the run. And Oregon has been one of the best rushing offenses in the country with Bucky Irving leading the way. You know, maybe that's the one uh, area where you could say, all right, there's there's a, a legitimate weakness here. And if one team is going to be able to, to take advantage of a weakness of, of you know their opponent, it could very well be that Oregon rushing attack and a Washington run defense that ranks 71st in uh, team performance. So um, this game, again, probably going to come down to the wire, a field goal either way. 
Washington being the home team, you know, that, that is definitely a big deal. Um, but our numbers and, and I, you know, maybe looking for uh, a reason to believe them, but maybe it is that uh, Washington run defense. Maybe that's the opportunity Oregon needs that, that they're going to be able to uh, control the tempo of the game, you know, keep moving the chains, maybe play a little keep away from that Washington offense that ranks number two in scoring, number two in points per drive, number two in yards per pass attempt, number one in yards per play, number one in success rate, number one in EPA per play. Um, you know, maybe maybe that's a, a path to victory for Oregon is, is uh, uh, keep the ball, you know, lean on the run um, and keep the ball out of, of Michael Penix's hands. And if they're able to do that, that, that could be uh, one way that, that Oregon goes in and, and wins this game on the road. Uh, maybe that's wishful thinking with our projection. Either way, you know, can't wait to watch this game uh, just as much, if not even more, than than the USC Notre Dame game. So, um, even though the the number maybe of of primetime or premier matchups uh, isn't quite as high as as we've gotten the last couple of weeks, uh, this game in particular, one of the best, you know, on paper that that we've seen so far this year, and and I think that Notre Dame USC game gives us two of the best games um, in, in one weekend that that we've seen so far this year. So, uh, can't wait. I'm excited for it too. You know, Longhorns have a bye week, so I get to just sit and watch whatever's on TV. So I like that. But Xavier, do you have a good uh, poll one way or the other in this Oregon and Washington game? I know you have a little history with Washington. Are you pulling for them? I because I feel like this is a state rivalry. Like it's not just a you know university rivalry. It's Washington versus Oregon, state versus state as well. So uh, how do you feel this one is going to turn out? Yeah, I, I would say you're absolutely right. There's definitely somewhat of a, uh, of a rivalry here um, between the states with it being so close. They being really what they feel like are the only two representat- representatives of the PNW, the Pacific Northwest. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree with you there. I'm leaning, even though I do have my affiliations with Washington. My mom graduated from there. Um, I, I'm leaning Oregon. I, I just think that the, the offensive balance that Oregon possesses right now uh, will worry me if I was a Washington fan. Um, they, they, they're just able to do everything on the offensive side of the football right now. And I think for Washington, the one thing that has concerned me a little bit is the fact that in in certain matchups, they just haven't been able to run the football. Uh, you know, as great as their offense has been, they have had an issue with being able to control the game, um, if that makes sense. You know, I go back to that game against Cal. You know, they blitzed them early, put up a 40 spot in the first half. But then the second half, it was like, all right, can you can you ice this game out? And, and you know, Cal was able to score 32 points, um, you know, against Arizona. Similar situation. I just felt like they blitzed them early, put up 14-0 extremely quickly, but weren't able to ice Arizona out of that game. And, and thus, Arizona made it a close one there at the end. So on the flip side, I feel like Oregon has the ability to say, you know what, we're going to go up, we're going to blitz you early, and we're just going to, you know, we're going to be able to sit on our running game for the rest of this matchup. And they've been able to do that the last two games that they've played, right? You know, obviously they're coming off of a bye, so that helps as well. But you watched them against Stanford, they they were able to, you know, it was was close early, they blitzed them in between the second and third quarters, and their run game just, you know, took them home. And and it was really that that simple for them. Uh, same, Same thing against Colorado, right? You know, they, they, they kill them early. And then in the second half, you're like, all right, cool. We're going to run the football. 
We're going to take care of the ball. We're going to take the time of possession, and we're going to go ahead and win this game running away because you guys aren't going to be able to get the football back. Uh, defensively, I do believe I think I trust Oregon a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball as well. I think Washington can be porous a little bit, um, especially uh, susceptible to the run game. I feel like against Arizona in particular, uh, they struggled um, to keep Noah uh, – Fafita in the pocket. There we go. Try to get that name correctly. Um, and, and and he was able to, you know, make plays off script a little bit more than I would have liked to see from a Washington team that maybe was sleepwalking a little bit um, in that game, but still uh, should have been ramped up for an Arizona game, you know, uh, or, or an in-conference game, in my opinion. The other piece and the last piece of, uh, of this really is, I'm not, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think I trust Bo Nix more than I do Michael Penix right now. Um I just feel like I've seen Bo Nix in more big games do what he's supposed to do. Um, I remember this game last year, and I go, I, you know, and obviously last year isn't this year, and I understand all that good stuff. But I just – I look at last year's game, and I go – I feel like Oregon left a lot of meat on the bone. And I know that they're waiting to get a little get back, um, as I feel like that was probably the game that they – that obviously derailed their opportunity to get back to the – get to the Pac-12 championship game. I feel like they left a lot. On the on the table, Penix didn't have an amazing game um, as far as touchdown interception ratio in that game. And I feel like Bo Nix and, and that running game. I mean, they ran for 150 yards. Uh, Mar- Marquise King had 150 yards by himself last year. You know, Noah Whittington had 106. They ran for over 300 yards. They passed for almost 300 yards, and they still lost the game by three. I just know that Oregon probably feels like, nah, like it wasn't supposed to end like that. So we're gonna try to get some get back this year um, in this matchup and beat them at home like they were able to beat them at home last year. So give me Oregon. I think I'm more prepared for this. I think I'm, I'd am i be less surprised by an Oregon victory um, in this matchup. I know that Washington's at home, but I do just feel like right now Oregon's balance and that defense, Dan Lanning's got his guys. I'm looking at I'm looking at Oregon and going, they look fast again. And I, we talked about this early in the year. Oregon looks like the Oregon of old, like they're just flying around again. Um, and, and that's a scary sight for the rest of the Pac-12. Because when they got when when they got their speed, especially if Dan Lanning's able to bring that offensive speed that they had in the previous years to the defensive side of the football, this Oregon team is going to really be really scary going forward. Uh, but I think that starts this weekend against Washington. All right, I think that's all the games that we have here. Any other games that you are uh, really feeling, Nick? The one that you have a good sense one way or the other, a side, a total, whatever. What else do you like in Week Seven? Uh, well, so I mentioned that the Wisconsin Iowa game was was one in a you know set of a few that that our numbers have done pretty well. Um, there are a couple of others that also similar to that one strike me a little funny. My my level of confidence isn't super high. Uh, one of them is Troy minus four and a half at Army. Uh, Army is one of those teams that that you know maybe this this rule is is exempt. Um, another is TCU minus four against BYU. TCU, uh, will be playing with a backup quarterback this week. Uh, that one has moved in our, uh, favor. It is now up to five and a half. It was four and a half when we released it's it. It's at online. six in most places. Six, yeah. Oh, wow. So that, that surprises it me a little bit. It keeps moving. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's a good sign for us. My level of confidence isn't, uh, particularly high there. Uh, similar one, but, but moving against us. Uh, Buffalo minus five and a half against Bowling Green. We were on Buffalo as a wrong team favored 
projection last week that that ended up working out. Uh, but that is now, I want to say down to three and a half last I saw. So that's moved just as much in the other direction, uh, which, which isn't necessarily a, a great sign there. So um, uh, kind of some weird ones this week, but that, that particular subset of which we've had, you know, between three and five uh, been quite good uh, the last few weeks and, and this season and, and really multiple years. So uh, we'll see how that carries over. Um, our wrong team favored projections. Uh, we mentioned Oregon, we mentioned UCLA, uh, Florida and Houston as well. And, and we're one and oh, we had Coastal Carolina uh, as being favored as a five and a half point underdog against uh, App State. So uh, we'll see. I personally, you know, this week, I'm I'm not seeing the ball quite as well as I felt like feel like I was the last couple of weeks. Um, but overall, you know, I feel like that the numbers are in a good place. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best to to trust the process and hopefully uh, we'll have another good week. You know, last week was our best of the year, um, and I've been really really encouraged with the underlying numbers, absolute error, and, and things like that. So um, we're we're overall, you know. Things are things are rolling along and, and doing pretty well. Hopefully that continues. Xavier, anything in particular look you're looking forward to in week seven? Yeah, I, I've got. I think there was Georgia State was favored by one and a half. I don't like that number. Um, I think Marshall upsets Georgia State this week by numbers' uh, sake. I do like Marshall in that match. I was surprised Georgia State was favored in that one myself personally. Right. I think we're uh, on Georgia State, but that, yeah, I, I that one that one struck me funny too. Sorry, sure. No, you're good. Um, I got Kansas State upsetting Texas Tech. I feel like they're the wrong team's favor on that one. Um, I got LSU not only to cover, but to obliterate Auburn this week. I think so, too. Yeah, <laughs> I really do. Yeah, uh, I've got the under in that game as well. I, I think 11 and a half is way too favorable in the side of Auburn. Um, well, I think this year, outside of really the Georgia game, has not shown up to play uh, most weeks. Um, I think that's all I can think of off the top Georgia of my didn't really show up for that one either. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, L. And lastly, I do think, and I, I know this is crazy, and this isn't that all that crazy. I think Arkansas covers against Bama. I think nineteen and a half is too rich for my blood. I think Arkansas has played better than what people are giving them credit for. Uh, this is a team that was able to play with scoring. Jefferson has to do everything. He does. <laughs> I think they Arkansas lose. Sanders should have more action this I week. Think but... they, I think they lose. But, it, but look at, like, the last three games for them, right? They've all been – look at their last four games. They've all resulted in losses, but they haven't lost by 12 by, – by more than 12 in any of those matchups. Against Who's the best team they played? They played Mississippi and LSU. Mm, LSU, they lost by three. Mississippi Texas last yeah. I mean, it's it's a tough – it's a brutal stretch. In this I, it really is. I mean, yeah. all has, four have been away from home. Yeah. <laughs> One on a neutral field, three on the home team. Uh, or, or, had a home oh, game yeah. <laughs> uh, I so all our numbers are on Arkansas to cover. Yeah, sixteen and a half was the biggest one, and that's the prism model. Um, but man, I just I kind of feel like the wheels might fall off this week for Arkansas. That's I, my I hunch. Yeah, I don't know. I just I just, I just for, think Bama's playing their best ball right now. Uh, and. I, I don't think their best ball is good enough offensively to, to beat them by 20 points. I just don't like, I still see a team that is at best right now, a 12 to 14 point victor, even when their offense is rolling. Like I would be right. I hope two right. defensive touchdowns for Bama. <laughs> so 
that, that's how that's how I see that game going. Uh, also, I think Florida State covers against Syracuse. Uh, I know. Oh, we didn't talk about the Syracuse game this week, man. Yeah, that's, that's almost as bad as me forgetting. Kentucky I don't. I don't think it's going to be because I think <laughs> Florida State's going to murder Syracuse. I think uh, honestly, yeah. if you look at Syracuse' schedule, this is the last game of a brutal stretch for them. And I, you know, everyone's like, been talking about it. Really. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Florida State <laughs> is looking forward to Duke, but I think Syracuse is looking towards the bye week after this <laughs> stretch. So they just got well, murdered by UNC. I think Florida State's better than UNC. So I think uh, Florida State's. Can I give you one more? Yeah, sure, please. Cal covers against Utah. Cal cover. Okay, Cal's been oh, covering. I've got, I've got one. I forgot, or, or I, I missed it. So one of those where we've got a, a favorite expected to cover in all three, and this, this uh, scenario isn't necessarily a great one, but Ohio State at Purdue minus nineteen and a half. We have Ohio State favored by at least twenty and a half in all okay. three models. Okay, so. That that's one too. That's fair. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a fun weekend, man. I, I, I don't like that one. Just I don't <laughs> yeah, I on the road at Purdue. Purdue has a you know they have a history. So, well, so. I, I feel I feel like Kyle McCord last week figured out that Marvin Harrison Jr. still plays football for Ohio State. Like in that second half, it was just like, oh yeah, I do have the best receiver in the country. Let me just <laughs> don't figure out what happens, right? But that offense still like it it, it it's hard to watch at times. That offense is really hard to wrap It is. It's tough. But uh, that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Campus, the number two Canton for Campus Canton, at Bogman Sports for myself, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.